chapter 8, Matthew the 8th chapter. And as you turn there, um, I'll do as brief a review and introduction as I can possibly do tonight because I want to have enough time to get a little further into the new material that, that the Lord has prepared for us and, and has helped me with, and I'm very excited about it. But um, we're continuing our study on the subject of faith, but our, our study has somewhat shifted. Um, the Holy Spirit, by revelation, uh, you know, has uh, you know, taught us that um, many times people consider their faith to be the problem when it's not the faith at all. It's the heart that the faith is plugged into, the heart that the faith resides in and functions from. And the simple illustration that he gave us to make that point is the concept of a light bulb screwed into a light fixture. And if the light bulb isn't burning, our first thought is there must be a problem with the bulb. Um, but um, sometimes it's nothing wrong with the bulb. There's actually a problem with the fixture. And so in the same way, uh, the measure of faith that God has dealt to every person, it resides in and functions from the heart. So in this simple analogy, um, the bulb would represent the measure of faith that Father God has given to you, and the heart, your heart, my heart, would represent the fixture that that bulb is screwed into. And so if the faith isn't functioning the way the faith should be functioning, amen, um, instead of thinking there's something wrong with the bulb, um, let's take a look at the heart. And this is, this is what the Holy Spirit was, was you know, revealing to us and impressing upon us. And so upon closer examination, you see in the earthly ministry of Jesus, he spent um, far more time addressing the condition of men's and women's hearts than he did actually teaching on the subject of faith itself. Even when people would ask him to give them more faith, he would look at them and smile and say, you don't need any more faith. That Faith, the grain of a mustard seed, will move a mountain. And of course, what we know from Romans 12 is that God's dealt to every person the measure of faith. Dealt means that he, he has shared with us and has given to us um, what we believe is the God kind of faith, his faith. And so again, I, I'm, I'm just asking all of us to consider this um, from a different perspective that maybe the problem we thought we had with faith was not the problem at all, but that the problem is the fixture of the heart and the condition of the heart. Now from there, we, we looked at what it means to have a hardened heart and how this was a problem that Jesus consistently addressed with his disciples. And hardened heart doesn't mean to be hard-hearted towards other people necessarily, but it, but it means for a heart to be set or fixed in a certain way of understanding things, a certain way of looking at things. And so the disciples would participate in and experience amazing miracles, okay, astounding miracles, but they would leave those experiences with their heart set in the same way of understanding that, that they were set in before they experienced the miracle. And so Jesus would then say things to them like, is your heart still hardened? Do you still not understand? So he was wanting them to, he was wanting to see a change in the way they understood things so that, so that their faith um, would, would operate and function in their heart the way faith is meant to operate and function in the heart of everyone that, that has had the measure of faith, you know, planted in it or dealt um, to it. And so the, t the title of this 
current series is faith will flourish in an understanding heart. Faith will flourish in an understanding heart. And we've made a lot of points, and I'm not going to try to rehash them all, but one of the things that we see is that, is that there's a directionality to understanding. In, in other words, the, the way we understand, um, it's like a train of thought. Um, it, it, it carries us in a certain direction. And so many times the way we understand a thing carries us to a conclusion opposite to the one that we desire. In other words, we, we desire things to turn out one way, but our understanding will never carry us in that direction. And, and so what happens so many times with so many people, so much so that I hate to say it this way, but, but it's, it's, it's almost like become the norm, is that people's understanding always reasons them to a place of doubt and unbelief. It always reasons them to a place of lack and, and failure. It, it leads them to, to a place, what, what do we think worry is? But worry is just a, a way of looking at, assessing, and processing a situation uh, and, and that leads you to, to a place of, of accident or tragedy or bad report. or you know. But, but again, there's a mechanism of understanding that carries us to that place. Now, in Matthew, the eighth chapter, we have record of a man that Jesus said displayed the greatest faith that he had witnessed in all of Israel. And this man was a centurion. And so the, uh, the thought that I'm presenting to you is the reason this man had such a tremendous display of faith, um, it, it had more to do with his understanding. Because if God has dealt to every man the measure of faith, then that means centurion is a man. God has dealt to that man the same measure of faith that he dealt to the disciples, that he dealt to you and me. But yet this man's faith is, is manifesting in, in a way and presenting in a way that, that amazed Jesus, caused Jesus to marvel. Remember, the other side of that coin is Jesus also marveled at people's unbelief and lack of understanding. But this is a different case here with this man. And so let's read it. Matthew chapter 8 and, um, and verse number 5. Am I up there? We're not up there. Okay, it's, it's cool. No, it's fine, sister. I just, Amen either place so we're good. i didn't mean for you to get up i'm just saying i amen um it i'll read it amen now when jesus had entered capernaum a centurion came to him pleading with him saying lord my servant is lying at home paralyzed dreadfully tormented and jesus said to him i will come and heal him the centurion answered and said lord i'm not worthy that you should come under my roof but only speak a word and my servant will be healed for I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Verse 10, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Now, let's go down to verse 13. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed... So let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Now, notice Jesus says, as you have believed, so let it be done to you. In the conversation the centurion had with Jesus, he doesn't mention faith. 
He doesn't mention believing anything. He doesn't, uh, you know, talk about, you know, like, you know, what he's believing Jesus can do, what Jesus will do, the faith, faith, believing, none of that is mentioned, but it's certainly um, at play here. It's certainly involved here. But what do we instead hear from the centurion? Instead, we hear from the centurion what he understands about the situation, how he sees the situation, how he is assessing Jesus and what Jesus can do and has done and, 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 and how that could make a difference uh, in the situation involving uh, his servant who's obviously very dear to him and, and, and who is, uh, is sick and is suffering, all right? So pay attention to the centurion's understanding. It only seemed logical to him that all Jesus had to do was give the word and his servant would be healed. So the question then that I want us to ask and answer, what did the centurion understand about healing that we may not understand or that others may not or do not understand, okay? So I had a list of 10 last Wednesday. I have a list of 12 this Wednesday, all right? So amen. We'll see uh, if you already wrote 10 things on your notes, just scratch through that and hold off and see how long this list becomes, all right? But here is the first thing. We're talking about what the centurion understood, okay? And so, um, number one, it seemed logical to the centurion that Jesus would do for his servant what he had freely done for many others. Okay, so this is a review. We covered this last week. It seemed logical to him. We're getting that phrase, it seemed logical to him, from the Passion Translation when, when Abraham went to offer Isaac to, uh, to God the Father at, at God the Father's request. Um, and, and then uh, he, uh, praise God, i got to get to my notes here. Thank you, Jesus. We're having some um, issues. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, praise Thank you, Jesus. All right. Hallelujah. Amen. I told Brother Aaron uh, the other day, I said, um, the notes used to be, in case I ran out of things to say, somewhere along the way, the notes became, I've got so much to say, this is what I need to say. Amen. And that's just, praise God. But it's an odd thing when you're looking at your notes and they disappear. All right, amen. All right, so it seemed logical to the centurion that, that Jesus would do for his servant what he had freely done for many others. And so we see that um, the Passion Translation from uh, Hebrews 11 and 19, it says this, Abraham's faith made it logical to him that God could raise Isaac from the dead. And symbolically, that's exactly what happened. So the, the idea is that how we understand the situation determines you know, what seems logical um, and what seems illogical. And this is what I meant a moment ago when I, when I said the way we understand, we'll, we'll, we'll either reason our way into greater faith or we'll reason our way away from faith into doubt and unbelief. And so the centurion, again, just how he understood the situation, um, it, it only seemed logical to him that Jesus had, had healed so many other people um, that it wouldn't be that big of a deal for Jesus to also heal his servant. 
Now that may seem like low-hanging fruit and, and, and fairly obvious, but again, think of how many people um, read about all the people Jesus healed in the Bible, also know of other people who have received healing, but still don't think it logical that because Jesus has healed all those folks that, um, that he will heal them. In other words, their understanding of the situation is that he did it for them, but not sure he'll do it for me. All right, number two. The centurion understood that Jesus was not acting alone. The centurion understood that Jesus was not acting alone. He, he said that, um, I also am a man under authority. So the centurion knew that he, I'm talking about the centurion personally knew, that he was an extension and a representative of something much bigger than himself. He, rep, he understood that his words carried weight because of who and what he was submitted to. And that would have been uh, Caesar and the Roman government. And so he, he recognized and understood that, like himself, Jesus was not acting alone, but that he was a front man, if you will, a representative of someone who was under a greater authority. It was clear to the centurion, listen to me please, it was clear to the centurion that Jesus was acting under the authority of an invisible king and kingdom. The centurion was operating under the authority of a visible king and kingdom. And because he had submitted himself to that king and kingdom, he was a man under authority which gave his words weight and substance. When he spoke, there was, there was more than just his authority behind them because he was under the authority of Caesar and the Roman uh, kingdom. When he spoke, his words were backed by Caesar and the Roman kingdom. And so he recognized that Jesus also was a man under authority, that he was in submission to and a part of and connected with a king and kingdom, okay? And so this is why he says Jesus was also under authority because Jesus was also, and we know that's true, right? Jesus said, I never do anything unless my father tells me to do it. I never, I never say anything unless my father tells me to say it. Because Jesus was also under authority, his actions... Now listen, this is important. It's all important. I'm going to quit saying it's important. It's all important. Let's just say, nothing I'm going to say tonight is unimportant. All right, let's get that out of the way. All right. Because Jesus was also under authority, his actions represented the will, the wishes, the desires of the king and kingdom he represented and was submitted to. As one under the authority of Caesar and the Roman government, the centurion acted according to the will of Caesar. He didn't act according to his own will. A Roman centurion didn't keep his life very long doing his own thing. He, that's why he says, I also am a man under authority. This man had submitted his entire life to Caesar and to the, and to the, and to the Roman uh, kingdom that Caesar presided over. And so he, he, rep, he recognized that because Jesus was not acting alone, he was also under the authority of a kingdom, amen, and that he was carrying out 
not his own desires, not his not making it up as he went along, but everything that Jesus was doing was representative of the desires, of the will, of the wishes of the king and kingdom that he represented. Now remember, the scriptures say, if we've seen Jesus, we've seen the Father. And what we looked at last Wednesday night, we're not going to go back through all those verses, is time after time after time, the Bible says in great multitudes of people, Jesus healed every person that was present who was sick. He healed every single person that needed healing. We see it in Matthew 4. We see it in uh, Matthew 8. We see it in Matthew 12. And then with Jesus in heaven, we see it in Acts chapter 5. Now, why is this so important for our understanding? We, we need this for our own understanding because if Jesus was not um, acting alone, but was instead representing the wishes of a kingdom he was in submission to, that kingdom and the desires of the king who presides over that kingdom are still valid for you and me. Number three, the centurion understood the king and kingdom Jesus represented, wanted people healed, and had the power to carry it out. Think about that for a minute now. He understood that. That was obvious to him. It seemed logical to him. In other words, because Jesus was under authority and not acting um, of his own accord, but in submission to um, a, a kingdom that, that was invisible, but the power of it and, and, the, and, the, and the authority of it was visible. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus, and I'm paraphrasing and condensing, he was producing visible signs from an invisible source. And so is everyone, he said, who is born of the Spirit. So, because Jesus was not acting alone, but carrying out the will, the wishes, the desires we know of his Father, it became very um, logical, or we could say part of the centurion's understanding that this king and the kingdom that Jesus uh, was, let's just say it this way, that was behind Jesus. Remember he said, if you see me casting out demons with the finger of God, it can only mean one thing, the kingdom has come upon you. So the centurion understood the king and kingdom that Jesus represented was one that wanted people healed. This was... Um, in other words, Jesus preached, Jesus taught, and Jesus healed. This was what he did. And so the centurion understood, one more time, the king and kingdom Jesus represented, wanted people healed, and had the power to carry out that mission, that assignment. Number four, the centurion understood the authority Jesus was under gave Jesus, him, authority over sickness and disease. See, part of what 
part of what the centurion understood was based upon his military training. I think that's pretty clear when he brings up, I'm under authority because I'm under authority, I have authority. Because I'm under authority, what I say carries weight, carries more weight than if I was not under authority. And so he's making that connection. He's making that parallel with Jesus. I heard Brother Copeland say something one time that, you know, just I think really, I mean, so many things he said that rang so true with me. But he was talking about when missionaries first went to the Native Americans in, in this country. And how they had within their culture a very deep understanding of covenant. And how different things might have been had those missionaries taught a covenant God to the Native Americans instead of trying to teach them how to wear breeches and eat with a fork. Right, because they had such an innate understanding of covenant, man, they would have taken to that. I agree with him. I think there's some powerful truth right there. And that's what we're seeing with this centurion. He had an understanding of authority. He had an understanding of how these things worked. And that understanding in his heart, you know, it, it just clicked when, when he saw Jesus operating in authority. He knew that in order for Jesus to operate in the authority that he operated under, uh, operated with, he had to be under authority to have that kind of authority. So G, the centurion understood the authority Jesus was under gave him authority over sickness and disease. Therefore, because he had authority over sickness and disease, sickness and disease obeyed Jesus and did whatever he told them to do. Now, what we're talking about right now is a huge area of misunderstanding. In, in other words, th this, this may be more than anything I've said so far um, is an area of misunderstanding in the hearts of God's people that is um, preventing the light bulb of our faith from producing the results of healing in our lives. Okay? So, hear me please. If you have authority over something, that means you are greater than that thing. If you have authority over a person, not in the sense that you're better than that person, but in the sense of the authority, especially in military, right? You're greater than that person in the sense that your word carries more weight than their word. What you say as one in authority has more impact and carries more weight than the person who is under the authority. Okay? So, Jesus having authority over sickness and disease, therefore being able to command sickness and disease, and sickness and disease do whatever he told it to do, and 
I'm going to get it right. Okay. Let's use these words. Okay. Jesus was the superior. Okay. I know that's maybe not a word that we use a lot. Okay. But we say, you know, like if you, if you've got, you know, you got a decision to make and it, you're not authorized to make the decision, then you carry that decision to your superiors. If you don't use that word, have you at least heard it before? Okay. People who are over you, we sometimes refer to them as, as your superiors. And so because Jesus was under authority and the authority that he was under gave him authority over sickness and disease to tell sickness and disease what to do, this means that Jesus was, was the superior and that sickness and disease were beneath him. Simplified, Jesus was the superior, sickness and disease was the inferior. He was greater than, sickness and disease was less than to him. So again, this is a huge area of wrong understanding. Do we, let me ask you, do you, do you see yourself as a master over sickness and disease or do you understand yourself to be a servant, a slave, or an underling to sickness and disease? Is sickness and disease at your mercy or are you at the mercy of sickness and disease? The centurion understood that sickness and disease was at the mercy of Jesus and that Jesus was not at the mercy of sickness and disease. Now his servant was suffering. His servant was being dominated by sickness and disease. His servant was at the point of death from sickness and disease. And there was nothing within that centurion's authority, although he carried tremendous authority as a Roman centurion, there was nothing in his tool belt. There was nothing that he had access that he could say or do as a Roman centurion, right, to flip the script and give him uh, superiority over sickness and disease and cause the sickness and disease to be at mercy to him. Let me say it another way. The, the centurion's servant was at the mercy of sickness and disease, but so was the centurion. But he saw in Jesus someone who was not at the mercy of sickness and disease, but someone who was superior to it, and sickness and disease was inferior to him and therefore was at the mercy of Jesus. And if you don't believe me, remember the legion of demons begging Jesus not to send them to another country, but to let them stay there. They were at, the, they were at his mercy. He was superior to them. And he knew it. And they were inferior to him. And they knew that he knew they were inferior to him. And, he, and they knew that Jesus knew he was superior to them. Let me say it another way. They knew Jesus understood what time it was. Okay? All right? And let me tell you, I'm not, listen, I'm not, this, I'm trying to help us. I'm trying to help all of us, okay? Myself included. The devil knows whether or not you know. He knows whether or not you know that he's under your feet. Amen. The centurion understood. 
I got... The centurion understood the authority Jesus was under gave Jesus authority over sickness and disease. So the question is, victor or victim? Do you understand yourself to be the victor or do you understand yourself to be the victim? Luke chapter 4, verse 39. This is when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. Um, this is, uh, thank you, Christy, uh, slide 75. Luke chapter 4, verse 39. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever. And what did the fever do? It left her. And immediately she arose and served them. Jesus spoke to the fever in Peter's mother-in-law's body. Notice that it says he stood over her. He stood over her but was seated above the fever that tormented her. That really jumped out at me this afternoon, that he stood over her. I, I believe that means a whole lot more than she was laying down and he stood over her. In other words, he stood over her physically, but he also stood over the fever that was tormenting her. He recognized that he had authority over that, and he rebuked that fever. Now, now here, again, is some very important understanding that we need. Slide 77. A rebuke goes down but never up the chain of authority. A rebuke goes down but never up the chain of authority. What does that mean? 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 1. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers. What is that? When someone is superior to you, you don't rebuke them. But when somebody is over you and they rebuke you, you receive that rebuke. Read Proverbs. If you want to be wise and if you want to prosper, receive instruction. Receive correction. Okay? But here's the thing. Correction never goes up the ladder. It always comes down the ladder. That's, that's God's a way of setting this up. How about this one? Matthew 16, 22. Then Peter took him. Him, by the way, is Jesus. Then Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Who knows what Jesus said next? Get behind me, Satan. See, he's trying to rebuke from a low place to a high place. <laughs> It'll never work. It'll never work. How about this one? Um, Matthew uh, 19 and 13. Then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. We see in another place where the, where the disciples rebuked Jesus. Okay? They're just, they're just wanting somebody to rebuke, ain't they? Come on now. They're trying to rebuke somebody. So now, rebuking Jesus hadn't worked out too well for them. So now they got some kids that are clamoring and climbing all over Jesus and laughing and playing. And so they're going to walk in there and play big shot and rebuke the children. And the one over them rebuked them for rebuking the ones under them. You see this, right? You don't ever rebuke up. The rebuke always comes down. 
So what? You cannot effectively rebuke what you're not confident you're over. Do you see this? Right? You can't rebuke the devil and be afraid of the devil at the same time. Because he knows. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? He knows. See, if you understand yourself to be at the mercy of sickness and disease, then sickness and disease is not going to obey you when you speak to it. Because you're trying to rebuke up. Oh, I want you to get a hold of this so you're trying to rebuke up. You're trying to rebuke something you think's over you. It'll never work. Think about it, how it may play out in, in, in your own life. See, even, let's, I'm recently reading, remember when uh, 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 Miriam and uh, Aaron, right, they got real full of themselves. Who does Moses think he is? He ain't the only one to hear from God. Why, you know, he, he, you know, he's up there like the big shot. We're in this together. We, while we're a team, we're equals. God comes down, he says, uh, Moses, Miriam, Miriam, Aaron, would y'all come here for a minute, please? Just step outside the camp with me for a minute, please. He says, I speak to prophets through dreams and visions and give them words for my people. Because Miriam was a prophetess. Aaron was a priest. He, you know, he heard from God. I almost picture it this way. I'm not saying this is the way it was, but this is the way I picture it. They're standing there. God's standing by Moses. He puts his arm around Moses. He says, when I talk to this man right here, it's not through a vision. It's face to face. I've put him over you. I've put him over all of these people. And I don't know where you got the idea that you could speak against him. See? Notice now they're, they're trying to rebuke up. They're trying, it, it's, not, it's not working, right? And all of a sudden, Miriam becomes white with leprosy. And Moses is like, oh, oh no, 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 Father. Look, they, they shouldn't have done this. But don't, God, please, don't, don't, don't kill her. Don't, 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 you know. And he says, well, she needs to spend a little time outside the camp and get get her attitude straight he put her in time out amen come on now he put, i'm out of time i'm nowhere near out of stuff he put her in time out amen amen a rebuke goes down but never up the chain of authority you cannot effectively rebuke what you're not confident you're over so when we have an understanding that says we're at the mercy of, of every sickness, disease, cold, diagnosis, whatever that comes along. And then we try to rebuke it. So again, what did Jesus do? He stood over, not just her. He may have stood over her, but he understood that he was seated above the fever that tormented her. And when he told it to go, it went. Number five, it's the last one. It's kind of a simple one. It was inconceivable to the centurion that a subordinate would not obey a superior. There was certain swift and severe punishment for any Roman soldier who failed to obey a command from a superior. That was his understanding of this, right? 
Number six is so closely related to it. It was inconceivable to the centurion that a subordinate would delay obedience to a superior. Right? Now, we'll get into this next week, but this is where the devil's really done a number on a lot of God's people. There are certain things pertaining to God's plan for your life that there is a timing to. There, there is um, you and I growing up into that may not be for now, but may be for later. But when it comes to healing, it's never later. It's always now. See, a lot of people understand, well, you know, we believe God for healing, so, you know, one day we're going to get healed. See, that, that's how people understand it. But remember, faith will flourish in an understanding heart. That's, that's religious lies, my friend. There's no such thing as going to get healed if by His stripes you were healed. Right? So, it was inconceivable to the centurion that a subordinate would not obey a command from a superior, and it was also inconceivable to the centurion that a subordinate would delay obedience to a superior. He knew the minute Jesus spoke that word, His, his servant would be healed. It wasn't going to be no dragging their feet about it. It wasn't going to be no, you know, maybe six months from now he'll feel better. No, I mean, it was. All right, stand with me. Praise God. You get anything out of this? All right. Amen. We got at least six more to go. Amen. There's one on the list I, I'm just itching to get to, okay? And so we'll explain it later, but I want to give you the number. Don't try to find it yet, Christy. You're such an awesome help back there. But um, think about this one. The centurion made it easy for Jesus to help him. You ever tried to help somebody that made it really hard to help? Sister Gail, I know. I, you know what I'm saying? I mean, just, they made it so hard for you to help them, right? Man, this centurion, he, his understanding was, I'm going to make it so easy for you, Jesus. <laughs> Come on now. Quit making it hard for the Lord to help you. Father, you're so good to us. Thank you for this time together tonight, Lord. Thank you for, Lord, helping me um, present, Lord, things that you're teaching me. And, and, Lord, for helping people connect with it in a real way in their lives. Father, this is not just about what some man that lived a long time ago uh, that impressed Jesus with his faith. Lord, it's, it's, it's not just about that. It's about understanding what he understood and examining how that compares to our understanding today. Lord, because the faith that you've given us will flourish in an understanding heart. Help us understand, Lord, the way this centurion understood. Help us see, Father, the authority of Jesus. And, and Lord, that we're seated with him, that or we're, we're not at the mercy of sickness and disease. Sickness and disease is at, the, at our mercy. We're above it, and we can rebuke it because we're over it. We're over it. You put us over it. Lord, if we don't understand that, we'll, we'll try to rebuke and cast out. And Anyway, Father, thank you for helping us. Thank you for the rest of this wonderful week, Lord. Let us shine for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, shake somebody's hand, hook somebody's neck, love somebody of Jesus, or just wave at somebody.
if you need to, to do it that way. But thank you for being with us tonight. Thank you for joining us online. Have a great rest of your week. Praise God.